Welcome to the Mama Truth Show, where soulful mamas embrace the whole truth of the messiness and magic of motherhood. Check us out at mamatruthshow.com. Here's your host, Amy Ehlers, the Wake Up Call Coach. Happy Mama Truth Monday, mamas. It's Amy Ehlers, the Wake Up Call Coach, here back with another Mama Truth Show. And today we are going to talk about definitely my all-time, like when I first read a book on this topic, I was like, I found how I want to raise my girls. Like I just knew it. I absolutely knew it. And I'm so excited because I've been wanting to do a show on this topic for a while. So today we're going to talk about positive discipline. And I'm thrilled to have with me the beautiful and miraculous Marcelie Smith-Boyle. Um, her website is Working parenting.com. And Marcelie helps busy parents and professionals find work they love and parent with more peace, purpose, and joy. She's a certified positive discipline parenting educator and career and leadership coach. And she leverages her previous 16-year consulting and marketing career to ensure her clients get a return on their coaching investment. <laughs> I love that. Marcelie, thanks for being here, my dear. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Oh, my joy. Uh, okay, so I, I I don't know if you had that experience with positive discipline, but the first time when I read the book, I was like, oh, because I was reading so many different books when Annabella, my oldest, was younger and really trying to find something that really fit with my values. Yeah. And so I'd love it if you could share with everyone what the principles are of positive discipline and why you resonate so much with it. Okay, I will share that, but your question also reminds me of the, the fact that when I was learning about positive discipline, really, I mean, I'd yeah. been exposed to it, but when I really got into it, I was also going through my coaching certification training um, with the neuro, well, coaching training with the Neuro Leadership Institute, David Rock, which oh. is all about the neuroscience of coaching. Oh. So I was taking them at the same time, and I was also t blown away by the similarities yes. between positive discipline and the fundamentals of good leadership. Like same yes. stuff, you know, whether it's at the home or in an office or an organization, really the same principles apply. And, and that was very cool um, to have that realization. I, you know, that makes so much sense to me because I, I know that actually a, a lot of my audience actually are coaches as well. Mm -hmm. So I know that there's a lot of coaches and healers and entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and, yeah. and so forth listening. And I think for, I, that makes so much sense to me because I know for me as a mom, I want to be doing things for my daughters that are going to help it so that they don't have to become a, a client to some, like a coach like me later on. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm like, anyway, this is oh the gosh, ultimate like therapy, right? Women, <laughs> you know, all these women beat themselves up and um, uh, like are really are lacking self-love and mm -hmm. self-compassion. And I want to infuse them with that, you know? Totally. Yes. And, and I think that, you know, positive discipline is, it is a parenting guidance model and it's also a classroom management model. Um, so it is about helping equip parents and teachers with tools to help children um, behave in a productive and helpful way, but it's way more than that. It really is about um, creating, I think, a generation of children who are later be adults who are um, well-adjusted, who are respectful, resourceful, resilient, um, 
and are not only those things, but are also excited about life and motivated to contribute their talents to the world. It really is about that. Mm. And that's so much bigger than getting your child to brush their teeth or right. stopping them from picking their nose. You know, it's way bigger than that. Um, so that's part of why I love it so much. Uh, yes, absolutely. I got chills actually when you said that. And I think that that's so powerful for us to really look at. Well, you know, because it's, um, I recently was in a store and there was a hand towel that said something to the effect of, um, you're, you're, you're ruining the type of parent I've always wanted to be. You know, it's like you're getting in the way of me being able to be this parent I thought I was going to be, you know. Totally. Oh, my God. I oh can my really gosh. And, you, so and everyone, Marcelie has three children from right. Annabella's age, actually, of one of her classmates. From So from 10 years old all the way up to now you're looking at colleges for your oldest. Yeah, he's 17. Right. I mean, that's insane. So yeah. you really run, you have the gamut there of a grade school kid, a middle school kid, and a kid that's in high school. Yes. Lots yes. of experience with imperfection. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that I thought might be kind of cool, this is just coming to me. Tell me if this works for you. But I thought maybe we could take something from the different, like the quintessential questions that you hear at different phases of parenting. So meaning like parents that are really dealing with a toddler, raising my hand here, mm-hmm. you know, and then parents like the typical thing that you see as kids are in grade school, and then maybe something as they're a tween and something as they're a teenager, and how we would really utilize positive discipline for those different scenarios. Yeah, sure. We could go there. Before we go there, though, there's one more thing that I want to say about defining positive discipline, because I think it's so different from a lot of the um, models that we see out there and, and so different from the way many of us were raised yeah. in the classroom and at homes. Um, so let me back up if that's okay. Yes, please. Um, so this is also a difference that I love about positive discipline. So a lot of um, behavior management models are really focused on the child's behavior, yep. stopping a bad behavior, starting a good one. And positive discipline is about um, looking underneath that at what's driving the behavior. So much longer term focus. And this is helpful um, you know, when you're raising a toddler and when you're raising a 17 year old because we're, not, we're helping them to develop beliefs and capabilities that will help them want to and be able to choose behaviors that are helpful to themselves and to the people around them. Mm. So that, that's a big difference too. So we're focusing kind of, if you think of it as an iceberg, I know that's kind of a jaded metaphor, but it's a really good one in this case. Behaviors on the tip of the iceberg. Um, if you focus there, you might get some short-term results. But what we really are looking for is going under the surface, the longer-term drivers of behavior, which tend to be things like beliefs, feelings, abilities, or the lack thereof, those things, when we can change those things, then the behavior just follows. And mm. that's more of a long-term solution. And the two things that um, really underlie a lot of beliefs and can help change what we see on the tip of the behavior are a child's sense of belonging and a child's sense of significance. So really positive discipline is not just about helping you know change behavior it's about helping children create those beliefs that I matter I'm loved I'm capable and competent um, I'm needed in this world and when people have those beliefs many of those misbehaviors simply disappear there isn't the need for you know acting out because they they 
they've got those strongly felt sense of the line and significance. That's beautiful. I mean, it's, you know, and I think that we see this when we're working with adults too, right? Oh, totally, right? I mean, yeah. It's like the minute any of us, and so everyone listening, just think of that from your own experience for a moment of the last time when you felt like you didn't belong or you weren't significant. Mm-hmm. And we can even see that on a country level right now of different oh, yeah. people feeling like they don't belong, like they're not significant. And then they're acting out, they're lashing out in ways that are very inappropriate. So right. Right. it's, yeah. you know, you can see it in all of these different mirrors for yourself. And then when your child is quote unquote misbehaving or acting out or trying to somehow express something, really looking at how, I wonder how they're feeling like they don't belong. I wonder how they're feeling insignificant. And or I wonder how they're feeling incompetent, which leads to a feeling of success when they really do lack the skills to be capable and feel competent. Totally, yeah. And you, I'm sure you've, um, you've heard about this, but um, what's really cool now, I know you know about this because you're a neuroscience kind of wannabe <laughs> grad student exactly, too, right? Exactly, um, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, so with the well, recent advent of the- wannabe grad student. Thank you, Marceline. Yeah, well, that's totally me too. I know. Canada, right? <laughs> Um, but so curious about that stuff with the, with the advent of the fMRI, the brain scan, um, functional magnetic resonance imaging. We now know that the place in the brain that registers and processes social pain is the same place in the brain that registers and processes physical pain. And there you can read, you've probably heard about that and you can read a really cool book that talks about these, the research super fascinating how they figured this out um, in a book called Social by Matthew Lieberman and his wife, Naomi. They, they did the research together. But in that research, it demonstrates that people who are feeling a lack of belonging and significance, so feeling rejection, and you and I, we've all felt this, even as adults, feeling humiliation. So your significance is so tiny, you feel humiliated. When people feel those feelings, it hurts. Mm. It hurts in the same way to the brain that you know a slap in the face or a knife in the back might hurt. So of course, when we hurt, we'll do whatever we can think of in order to get that pain to go away, which might be, and for children, that might be to talk back or to lie or to sneak or you know whine or any of those millions of other behaviors that we wish they wouldn't have. So same, uh, so now it's cool, I think, that there's some um, actual neuroscience research that backs up this belief or this theory about belonging and significance. And by the way, it's not a theory anymore. It's been backed up so many times, but it was proposed a hundred years ago by Alfred Adler, who is a psychiatrist whose philosophy um, is the basis for positive discipline. So it's all being validated, I guess, now with our modern technology, which is really cool. I love that. And well, and when you think of people who've been through abuse and they say, actually, the emotional abuse hurt just as much as the physical abuse. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to know that it is registered in the exact same part of the brain. Yeah. So it is that significant. It really is. Yeah. 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 So no wonder, yeah. you know, children and people act out or behave differently when they're feeling their belonging and significance is at risk. Yeah. Well, and this, so... Uh, uh, before we go into kind of different scenarios, do you want to talk a little bit about some of those things that we can do as moms to really increase our children feeling like they belong and like they're mm. significant? Sure. Yeah. 
So, and I'm sure that your listeners are already doing so many of these things just naturally. Mm. Um, so belonging, a sense of belonging, that's a feeling of I'm loved, I'm included, um, I'm needed. And so these are simple things that you do every day, like say, I love you. Mm -hmm. Simple things like greeting your child with a hug when you see them. Mm. Um, cuddles, special time, going on date nights or play dates with your kids. Um, family traditions, family dinners. All of these things are a fantastic way to help foster that sense of belonging. Mm. Um, and significance. I mean, I'm sure you could reel off a bunch. Why don't you take a shot at significance? How do you fill your child's significance bucket? Well, I, I always love saying like, I'm so grateful that you chose me and oh. you know, I'm so honored to be your mom. Isn't that, oh. you know, or we really like you in this family. We don't just love you. We like you, <laughs> you know, like those kind of things, those words yeah. of affirmation for sure. Oh, totally. And yeah. I think just little things like I noticed such a difference where if as a family we sit down kind of in the living room with the kids are at like this little table and Robin are at the coffee table and we're talking like it's a huge difference to when we sit down around the dinner table with placemats and a thing mm -hmm. and then we start with a little breathing together, you know, so we do like our little ritual where we hold hands and we breathe and we say like a little grace mm -hmm. and then we'll go around and say our gratitudes, like those yes. kind of ritual things. Right. Especially totally. for my three-year-old, she gets really like, uh, but, but I'm grateful. Like she really wants to be part of that conversation, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> beautiful. Right. Yeah. Um, totally. And, and other little things like just really listening to mm. our children helps them get that message. Oh, I matter enough to you for you to listen to me for a bit. So really listening, um, getting eye to eye with your children when you speak to them or make a request rather than, you know, yelling from across the house is a way to demonstrate respect. And when children, that all helps to feel, feed that sense of I matter, I'm important enough to be listened to for, for someone to speak respectfully to me. Asking rather than telling is a mm. great way to help a child feed a child's sense of significance, giving them choices. Mm. For you know, someone like Evie, that would be limited choices. Um, Annabella maybe have a, a broader spectrum of choices. But, but all of those things help a child feel like, oh, and giving them meaningful responsibilities. Mm. So chores and things like that in the house so that they can recognize their own capability and that they're needed um, in their community. I love that. I've never thought about chores as being something that helps them feel significant. I like that actual twist around that in my brain. Hadn't actually thought of that in that way before. Mm -hmm. I think it yeah. might be time to give Evie Rose like a little task. Mm -hmm. I think she, that would Good probably, she's, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when they're, when they can really master the job, then they do feel capable and competent and, you know, like they've got some skills and that helps feed their sense of significance. Yeah. That's great. Um, and I know it reminds me, you know, um, yeah. Jean Nelson, who's the author of the series of positive discipline books or co-author in many cases, she will say, um, belonging without contribution leads to entitlement. Mm. So if this child is like loved and loved and loved and included, 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 but not given an opportunity to contribute their own skills, their own value to the community, um, that can lead to entitlement. So it really is important and not just feeds their significance, but it also helps them stay grounded with a, you know, a healthy sense of um, 
uh, contribution. That is, I really want to highlight that, what you just said, because I think, you know, that's, I feel like that's when things like positive discipline or conscious parenting or what have you gets a bad name mm-hmm. is people have this image of children like ruling the roost all over the place and feeling like entitled, spoiled brats all the time and having their feelings matter so much and, you know, things of that nature. And I think that there is a way that we can go to that edge if we're not actually giving them responsibilities and giving them a way to contribute so they understand that their contribution is really important. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. powerful. It's a big deal. Yeah. And and I will say too, like positive discipline and um, can people can misunderstand it to mean permissive parenting. Right. But it definitely is not. Um, it's about kindness and firmness at the same time. So too much kindness is a permissive parent. Too much firmness is more like controlling and authoritarian. But that blend of the kindness and the firmness, that means that we've got some freedom, but it's within limits, is where positive discipline lives. Yeah. So we've got boundaries. We've got expectations. But we've got limits. Um, But the way that they are held and also created is in a model of mutual respect and um, honoring a person's dignity. Well said. So when you're, because I know that you do a lot of education, and by the way, everyone, um, Marcelie has a free um, online event that she is going to be doing that you can check out at mamatruthshow.com forward slash peaceful. And the name of that event, will you remind me, Six Obstacles to Peaceful Positive Parenting and How to Get Around Them. That's it. Really great. Yeah. So definitely check that out at mamatruthshow.com forward slash peaceful. You can sign up for that free class to go even deeper with Marcelie on these topics because you teach all over the place and are really doing powerful work inside even our school community, your daughter's in class, your youngest daughter's in class with my oldest daughter. So I um, wanted to give people that information too so that they can go deeper with you. But I'm curious, when you're in a class and if you're with parents that have younger children, right? what do you feel like is the number one challenge that parents with younger children are facing? So I just taught a whole six-week series of parents of preschoolers. Oh, you did? Yes. So ages two to five about. And I would say the number one challenge, which led to the number one aha for them, Hmm. was that often they're expecting their children, preschoolers, to act like elementary school age children. Uh, so because we all, you know, people, when they don't have children, they expect the toddlers to be quiet, <laughs> to, be still, you know, to eat with a fork and spoon. <laughs> and our expectations for this uh, age range are often way out of whack. So one activity I'll do is have people brainstorm, what are all the behaviors that really bug you about your preschooler? No, you know, list. No trouble, trouble listing. (laughs) No trouble coming up with that list. And then we'll go through and ask how many of these behaviors are actually developmentally appropriate. Right. And it's like every single one of them down to biting and head, you know, these are all developmentally appropriate for two and three year olds to be doing. It's not that we want to condone it. We certainly want to teach them how to get out of those habits, but 
they're totally normal. So children between in that age group, their brains are neurologically programmed to explore, experiment, and be impulsive. That's what their brains are saying. You got to do this in order to survive in the world. And their brains are louder than mama's voice saying, you know, no, don't do that. Don't do that. So that's the number one. Um, that's why at that age, some of your most powerful positive discipline tools are silly things like um, using humor, um, mm -hmm. distractions, um, and then giving them choices because they all want to, you know, uh, flex their new power muscles, their feelings of competence and capability and independence. They want to demonstrate that in the world. And so giving them opportunities to do that in a safe way. So limited choices, those are some of, and you know, really it's, um, supervision at that age too. You can't get around it. That is a positive discipline tool mm. because their brains are telling them to go run out and get that ball that's running in the street. And anything you say is not going to overpower that, that brain's direction. So supervision really is one of your best friends, even though it's exhausting. <laughs> yes. Well, and, one, and one of the books that I love so much is the Positive Discipline A to Z book, mm -hmm. because you can just look up the behavior right. and <laughs> see it. And I'm wondering if you could talk about this, because one of the things I love about that book is it not only gives you options for you know, like three or four, usually three or four different strategies that you could try, like a positive discipline strategy you can try with your child. Mm -hmm. But it also has you look at you mm -hmm. as a mom, as a parent, to so that you can see what your role is in co-creating the behavior. Yeah. Can you talk yeah, about that totally. for a moment? Like, what's our role in all of that? That's huge. Um, so... That's another thing that happens in my positive discipline classes. Usually about by the third week or so, I usually do about six, six week series, third week or so parents are coming to me and saying, I get it now. <laughs> I get it. This isn't about changing my child's behavior. It's about me. Yeah. It's about changing my behavior. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. You got it in three weeks. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that is a major aha. We contribute all the time. Um, to our children's behavior. And one of the most powerful things that we can do, and I know, you know, you've got other people on your podcast and shows saying the same thing, and it's really hard, is just to model the kind of behavior that mm. we want to see in our children. Mm. So how many times, um, you know, has your child hit someone and then you say, how could you hit, how could you hit your friend? I can't believe you did that. Go to your room right now and don't come back until you're ready to apologize. Right. So, and what we want our child to demonstrate in those moments are things like what? Empathy. Right. Compassion. <laughs> right. Um, patience, problem solving and communication. You know, that's what we're hoping. Communication skills. Our child will demonstrate in those moments. And so our job is to, you know, pull it together Sometimes impossible, I'll admit it. Yeah, <laughs> but as best you can, and um, and model the very things that you hope your child will demonstrate in their own behavior. So well, and I that. always love too, like when you're at your limit and you can't model what you want to do. Of modeling, I'm mommy's going to go take a break right now. Love it. Do it all right. the time. Yeah. 
Yes. Mommy's going to the bathroom for 25 minutes. She'll be back. In my house for a while, I had a little um, octagonal paper green that said pause. It was my pause button. Yeah. And I taped it in various places in the house where I was known to lose it, you know, so the kitchen for sure, um, <laughs> by the piano was another <laughs> big place. Uh, and so what I said to my kids is when I'm starting to lose it, um, I want you to remind me to hit the pause button to go take a break. Yeah. And I told them that and, um, and it worked for a good long time. And they would mm. say, mom, you need to go hit the pause button. And I'd yeah. be like, yes, I need to hit the pause button. <laughs> but it gave me something to do. Yeah. And I, and, you know, speaking of modeling about two weeks later, my daughter who was eight, um, created her own little pause button mm. and put it right next to mine. So. So good. Yeah. So good. Oh exactly. My right? We all need a pause button. Okay. So what about um, grammar school age children, like elementary school age children? What do you see as the biggest struggle for parents with kids that age? Oh, the biggest struggle with children that age. Um, I hear a lot of um, complaints about morning and evening routines and homework routines in that yeah. age. So it's like, yeah. The, the big transitions and then the homework um, yeah. are a lot of uh, the complaints I hear and power struggles come a lot, come yeah. a lot for that age too. And um, so what might that look like? Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking with the, um, with, I, I was going to say homework. And then I know for me, like it's screen time stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm really trying to, have healthy habits in our household around screens and yeah. that especially for Annabella, you know, at 10 years old, it's like she really would prefer to have her own cell phone. She'd prefer to be texting all of her friends. She'd prefer to like do all of these things. And, and so trying to like have healthy boundaries and limits around those and getting a lot of pushback around that. Yeah. So that's a big deal on um, the screens and, um, one of the things that I love about positive discipline, a tool that's in positive discipline is just joint problem solving. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we parents take too much responsibility for solving our children's behavior or other problems. We feel like we've got to figure it out. We've got to um, mandate what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. And, um, and you don't really have to, it's kind of a relief, you know, when you say, right. maybe I don't have to take all the responsibility. I can shift some of that to my child and get them involved. And so that's what I recommend with screens in particular yeah. is that you sit down with your kids and during a calm time when everybody's in a good mood right. and, um, and discuss your agreed upon limits. So I, I have a story, a very quick story about that one. So yeah. we've been having family meetings, um, in our house. This is another positive discipline tool. For years and screen time we do some problem solving in our family minute meetings and for years screen time limits would come up oh I don't know every two or three months mm-hmm. you know, we'd, we'd establish some limits we'd try them out for a while they wouldn't work so well so we'd bring it back it's not working let's try to tweak and we would come back and, and come back to it every few months for a while and after about maybe two or three years of experimenting with different screen time limits, my kids, my two oldest came home with a really bad report card, both of them. Oh, 
And so we talked about, you know, what's getting in the way, what's making this um, hard for you. And they finally, on their own, agreed to set a limit of no screens, no computer and video games um, on school nights. That was their suggestion. Wow. Right? I mean, I was wow too, but I think it's because we had years of true joint problem solving where we would brainstorm ideas. Um, I would want them to have no screens Monday through Thursday, but they were like, that's too oppressive. And we would compromise and we'd find a compromise and and I would lean on them. What are your ideas? Let's find a win-win here. And we did that for years to the point where I think they were able to have the room, the space to come up with it on their own without feeling, you know, controlled basically. Yeah. So joint problem solving, really for all ages, even three-year-olds can come up with amazing creative solutions sometimes, but that's one of my favorite tools for the elementary age um, is to get help, invite your children to help solve their own problems. They sometimes know the answer, often they do, they know the answer better than you do because they understand the root cause better than you do. Totally. That's so great. And, um, Okay, let's do like teenagers. I know we're starting to run out of time, but tell me with teenagers, parents of teenagers, I know you're in the thick of this right now. What's the most common thing that's just <laughs> I'm laughing because I really am in the middle of this. Um, and I think the most common challenge or complaint that parents have of teenagers is um, that teenagers are engaging in more risky behaviors. Yeah. Um, and parents really want to put a lock on that, um, somehow stop it from ever happening. So, you know, experimenting with sex, with drugs, with um, alcohol, with uh, all sorts of stuff happens during the teenage years. And um, what I am learning myself and um, is that, you know, we can engage in all sorts of conversations about our values and what's important to us and um, establish healthy limits. But in the end, I need to become more comfortable with the possibility that my child will make mistakes and they will learn from their mistakes to kind of allow them to make some mistakes, you know, and then sometimes the lessons that you learn from those mistakes are way more powerful than never making the mistake in the first place. So that's the teenage years. Um, I think it's letting go and allowing yeah. our children to make mistakes and letting them learn naturally from them. Well, and I can just hear like the mothers of teens going, but what if the mistake is so big that they screw up the rest of their lives or they get in an accident or they get this or they get that? What do you say to those mamas out there? Yeah, I say, I'm with you. I have the same <laughs> And that's where I think your relationship all the way up until that point is Mm -hmm. what helps them be able to make the good decisions when the really big stuff is at stake, like their life, you know, so not drinking and driving, for example. Yeah. Um, It's all of that special time, the one-on-one time, the um, asking for their help and solving problems all along the way from preschool up until this point that you now get to cash in because it's yeah. their, you know, faith, their trust and their connection with you. That's going to make them want to um, go along with your ideas. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't had that all along the way, 
which, you know, I feel like I got started a little bit late too. It's still not too late. I don't think it's ever too late. I, I recommended yeah. positive discipline to my mother when she was 70 and she started treating me differently. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So I think it's, it's never too late. Um, and for teenagers, uh, that connection, the talking, asking rather than telling, asking curiosity questions, what and how questions are my favorite tool for really all ages. Hmm. Um, what happened? You know, how do you feel about that? What do you want to do now? How can mm -hmm. I support you? Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of questions that help um, in the teenage years them explore the consequences of their own decisions. Mm. All right, darling. Well, I really want to remind everyone to check out Marsley's upcoming free online class. That sounds amazing. You can check that out at mamatruthshow.com forward slash peaceful. Do you want to just say a couple words about that? Sure. So this, this is a one hour class and um, it's based on my experience with coaching hundreds of parents who will come to me saying, I, I really want to have a better relationship with my children, but here's this that's getting away. I'm so busy or I don't have time or my husband's not on board. Um, and so I've just been track. I was tracking along the years. What are some of the common themes that come up that get in the way of being able to show up as the kind of parent you want to. And so this is a synopsis of those six themes that I keep hearing over and over again, and some really practical tips, at least one tip, to get around each one of them. Awesome. I'm also gonna share a few positive discipline tools, some of my favorites. We're gonna go deeper on these curiosity questions um, so that people can walk away with some really tangible, practical tools for um, improving the level of respectful uh, cooperation in their home and also helping teach their children these long-term life and social skills. You get the two in the one, the short-term and the long-term. That's what we're going for. Great. Okay, perfect. So again, that's mamatruthshow.com forward slash peaceful. Make sure to check that out. Highly recommend attending if this work has resonated with you the way that it does with me. So here's our last question, Marcelie, something I asked all my guests here on the Mama Truth Show, and that is what's messy and what's magical about motherhood for you these days? Okay, messy for me uh, right now, my, my, my son is going um, through the college application process. Mm. And messy for me is really learning how to let go. I mean, that is my great challenge right now, and it's not pretty. Yeah. Um, knowing when to, and how much to, you know, remind and ask and prod and how much to step back and let him, like I said, you know, make mistakes. Maybe yeah. some ones. This is college after all. So <laughs> that's messy for me. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, and the magical, the magic right now, just the other night, I um, was sitting in my office with my husband and we heard our two teenagers in the other room just laughing and having a grand time together. And I've noticed now, so there's a senior and sophomore in high school and they really like each other Aww. and they're texting each other and social media and come here and let me show you this hanging out together. And that is magical. Mm. So with that, thank you so much, Marcelie, for being here. I love this topic so much. We'll have to have you back on again another time because I know you have so much more to share on this. Highly mm -hmm. recommend the class. Um, so everyone, make sure to check that out. And with that, it's Amy Ehlers signing off, reminding you to keep embracing the messiness and the magic of motherhood. Until next week. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>
Thanks, Amy. Thanks for listening, mamas. Did you know that Amy has a new ebook out? It's called Sacred Self-Care for Moms, Seven Steps to Nurturing Yourself So You Can Be the Mom You Were Born to Be. And you can receive your free copy by going to sacredselfcarebook.com. That's sacredselfcarebook.com. And please don't keep the Mama Truth Show a secret. The biggest compliment you can give is to share the Mama Truth Show with your loved ones and write a review on iTunes. Until next time, keep embracing the messiness and the magic of motherhood. <laughs>